Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome back to the television graveyard. We are t- your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Woolahan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season or only one episode. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. I'm starting to feel like a real butthole. We are doing the greatest event in television history. Yes, the single four-episode run. Greatest event of television history. Yes. This is uh, starring Adam Scott. Yes, produced by Adam Scott and and his his wife. His real-life wife, Naomi. And I say his real-life wife, Naomi, for reasons that will make sense later when we're discussing the, uh, the show itself. So this was a uh, four 11-minute episodes. Yes. And they aired about a month apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, October. Oh, they aired much further than that apart. Sorry, I can't do math. Uh, the first one aired in October 2012. Mm-hmm. The second one aired in June 2013. The third one aired in November 2013. And then the last one aired in January 2013. Yes. And... We went in pretty much blind. I didn't know anything about this, but I I love Parks and Rec, so I was like, yay, Adam Scott. Yeah, so I, I knew that, and I knew that the first episode had Paul Rudd in it, and I knew that they were recreating famous moments of television. I didn't realize it was the theme songs. Yes, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so it, this was quite the experience. Uh, so we went in blind, and before we go into this, I think we need to pour one out. What do you have there? Uh, so I have a little beer. A little beer is uh, served in a tiny mug, and it is liquor 43, and then a little bit of cream on top to make it look like a beer head. And uh, I chose this one. Because it is the greatest drink in history, in my opinion. It's at least my favorite shot. And two, it recreates a beer without any of the original elements of a beer. Can confirm, it looks like a cartoon beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks like a cartoon beer. Especially when you look at... Because it is a, a beer stein the size of a shot glass. Mm-hmm. So it really does look like uh, Noah has... Uh, mugged a dwarf. Yes. Like a seven dwarfs dwarf for and their little mug of beer they have while they're Snow White's cleaning their house. And it tastes like ice cream. It's my favorite. Uh, so I actually uh, did, a, I went in the Paul Rudd route. Okay. And I did exhaustive research on things that were popular in the 80s. Okay. Uh, Blue Curacao was wildly popular. Blue Hawaiians. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, you could just dye almost anything neon blue. Uh, Midori drinks, neon mm-hmm. green based drinks. Uh, Wine coolers were also very popular. So I have a wine cooler that I dumped blue curacao in. Oh. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine? Just like many aspects of the show. It's fine. Is is that what it's called? Is it called It's Fine? Uh, It's called Hollywood. (laughs) Hollywood. 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 So let's... Actually, it's called Gus Van Zandt's Psycho. (laughs) Okay. 
Because it's a shot-for-shot shot recreation of something that was popular a long time ago and doesn't really go all that well. <laughs> so let's talk about the greatest moment in television history. Uh, it starts with Jeff Probst. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Probst, and welcome to this. In just a few hours, in this historic Hollywood movie theater, Hollywood's most important Hollywood types will have arrived to watch what will surely be one of the most important events to ever be televised from this historic Hollywood theater here in Hollywood. Yes, as if I had summoned him when I was complaining about the lack of host in Escape the Night. Jeff Probst entered my screen and I applauded. He's great in the show. Oh my god. I, I might I've mixed feelings about several other aspects of this show. I have no mixed feelings about Jeff Probst. <laughs> All positive. I think Jeff Probst, in my opinion, is underrated in general. Because a lot of people know him from Survivor. Survivor. Uh, but before that, he was the host of Rock and Roll Jeopardy on VH1. Oh, I did not. And he's like a bit snarkier and fun there. And uh, Jeff Probst can do comedy because there is a great survivor where uh, after the final tribal council, he's like, uh, the winner of Survivor will not be decided here today. We're going to wait until the live finale in New York. And then, like, you see him get on a helicopter and fly away and then land. And then he's in New York. And it was stupid. So the next season, they super leaned into it. Okay. And it's like, Jeff Probst, he's like, I'll see you in New York. And then he grabs it. And then, like, he swings on a vine. And then he takes, like, a speedboat. And then he's just on the New York subway. <laughs> like just holding this weird container and like dressed like the survivor host. <laughs> so I've always thought Jeff Probst was funny and it was good to see him get a chance to shine here in Hollywood, live in historic Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, he he plays it. He does this very clever thing where he knows what you think of him and plays it perfectly straight. Mm -hmm. Like Jeff Probst. We don't see a lot of Jeff Probst outside of Survivor. Yes. And it's because he doesn't have to do anything else. He's had this steady job for 20 years <laughs> that pays him very well. Yes. What the hell else does he need to do? You go do Survivor for your 40-day, probably two a year at this point, right? Yeah, he does two a year, and it's 39 days. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not even like he does a lot of voiceover. Because I, I know like some hosts are like... More present, but like he does the voiceover of like the recap. And it's like John got upset when they lost immunity. So there's not a lot of post work for him. So his life is for 39 days, he lives in the best part of the island that they're filming on. Yeah, like you know, he gets a hotel or at the very least, uh, an actual home of some kind. Yes. Like, he is, at the very least, glamping. Yes, he's definitely glamping. Uh, but probably if there's a place for him to actually stay. He is staying in a real hotel. He is getting real showers. He is getting real toiletries. Yeah. Uh, he has seen food today. Exactly. In fact, he's probably seen the food he wants to eat. <laughs> so, 
for he doesn't have to do this, but he's there and he's great. And yeah. one of my favorite things in the world is when actors play themselves. Yes. And make fun of themselves in doing so. Oh, yeah. And Jeff Probst does a great job of that in this. He nails, like I said, he nails who you think he is. Yes. And he basically introduces the fact that a shot for shot recreation of the opening title sequence of the 1980s television show Simon and Simon with Mad Men's John Hamm and Parks and Recreation's Adam Scott. But first, in the next 10 minutes, we're going to take you inside the process of making one of the most exciting and expensive opening credit sequence remakes of our time. Let's start the clock. And that he tells us to start the clock. So the show is actually the behind the scenes of creating the shot for shot remake of... Uh, <laughs> Which feels really off. I mean, we watched the Geraldo documentary, mm-hmm. and that's what this really reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Um, right down to like, I, I think Jeff Probst was definitely thinking about that because some of his delivery was highly reminiscent of Geraldo. Yes. Um, so it's featuring John Hamm, celebrated Emmy-winning actor John Hamm, and. Working actor Adam Scott photo unavailable. Yes. Uh, that's a running joke in all four episodes is the illustrious co-star and also Adam Scott is here. Yes. And I think that really fits because Adam Scott is such a that guy actor. Mm-hmm. His biggest role is indisputably Parks and Rec. Yes. And I feel like a lot of people don't even realize it's him in Step Brothers. Because he is such a departure from the characters he usually plays. It's very weird because that that's true and false. Ben Wyatt is a huge departure from the characters he usually plays. He usually tends to play D-bags. Ben is one of the only characters he that I've ever seen him play where he wasn't. I'm, I'm trying to think of... He's Trevor in The Good Place. He's kind of, He's a, kind of a D in Krampus. Krampus? Uh, He's, he's, I like him in Krampus. But he's definitely not like Ben Wyatt, cinnamon roll, yeah. adorable. Uh, he's kind of like a whiner in Party Down. Yes. So. And it's going to be directed by Paul Rudd. Yes, who is a maniac. And he does an interview uh, and he talks about doing a shot for shot remake and talks about how great Gus Van Sant's Psycho is. And then it cuts away to Gus Van Sant. Paul, that um, no matter what he does, he'll never get it just right. It'll never, it's impossible. You can't, you can't do it. Now, this is kind of like a movie nerd in-joke. Yes. Because I'm a huge, huge movie nerd. Yes. Uh, the 1998 remake of Psycho, by the way, I did not look up what year that was made. I just this is a thing you know. knew it. Is widely panned because it didn't bother to do anything new. Yeah, it is a shot-for-shot remake of the original Psycho. With Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche. Vince Vaughn plays Norman Bates. And, like, Anthony Perkins, actually, it was detrimental to his career in the end because Anthony Perkins was a handsome, boyish actor who got typecast. Um... Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I've seen Anthony Perkins in is also actually very spooky, but he is playing a good character. Because uh, he's in 
a Stephen Sondheim musical. Oh, really? Uh, called Evening Primrose. It, what I found even more like insane about the remake of Psycho is I honestly believe the original Psycho is one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen in my life. Yes. It is unbelievable. He's fantastic at it. How, like, this guy makes you cheer for this murderer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, oh, uh, it's masterful. And I, I think something that uh, Gus Van Zandt, uh refrigeration repair... Uh, forgets to like really look into is a lot of the things that made the original Psycho work is that it's in black and white. Yeah, because it's very famously the uh, the chocolate syrup going down the drain, mm-hmm. and a lot of what made Psycho Psycho was how um, trailblazing it was and how different it was. You used to be allowed to just walk into movies no matter what time they started playing. Right, Psycho killed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock insisted you not be allowed to enter the theater after Psycho started. Yeah. See it from the beginning or not at all. Uh, because uh, Vivian Lee, who played uh, Marion Crane, is murdered very early on. Yes. And she was being hailed as the star. And it's unheard of for your star to die that early. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a trick that isn't pulled off with the same level of success again until 1996 with Scream. Scream, yeah. Um, that's the next time this trick works even remotely that well. Mm-hmm. Is when Drew Barrymore's character is killed in the cold open. Yes. Because they sold Drew Barrymore as the final girl. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, they had Nev Campbell be like, I I play her friend. <laughs> when Sydney is, in all actuality, the lead. The lead, yeah. And, and the final girl. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that Sydney breaks all the horror movie rules. Mm-hmm. And Casey Becker, who Drew Barrymore plays, follows most of them. Yes. Uh, get ready for our soon-to-be-created spinoff podcast. Uh, Laura spouts information about horror movies she's never seen. <laughs> um, I am terrified of horror movies. Yeah. But yet somehow... You have so much knowledge. It has become my weird niche that I know just like... I, I used to read... Okay, we're so off topic. Forget. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. <laughs> they so, kept being murdered by people in scream masks. So I would just read like trivia pages in IMDb. Um, like for the longest time, if you went in the posters tab of Peter Pan, a pet cemetery poster showed up and scared the bejesus out of me. Fact. Okay. Uh, but I used to spend a lot of time on IMDb because this was early internet. There wasn't like TV tropes. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a TV trope called schmuck bait. Yeah. And that's me. Like if it's a scary TV trope page, I'm like, ah, it's 1130 at night. I should definitely look at the night fuel page for this. Yeah. Oh, oh, I have regrets now. But in any case, to, to bring this back. Oh, are we talking about something? Yes. Uh, they are making fun of themselves and basically saying, like, this is... What we're doing is very dumb, but we're acknowledging that we're in this reality. We It's dumb because it's hard, not because it's stupid and pointless. Yeah, and they, they have this, um, this running joke where they were like, we asked the tallest blank in L.A. <laughs> yeah, we asked the tallest. And it's the same guy. guy. Yeah. And they're like, do you think this is the greatest television event of all time? No. No. <laughs> so we see him every episode as a different occupation doing that. 
So Adam Scott is super pumped to meet John Hamm. Yes. And John Hamm just kind of like blows him off. Yeah, doesn't want anything to do with him. And, but John Hamm is happy to be here because he loved Simon and Simon. So he's very happy to be here. He's honored to be here. Do you know what Simon and Simon is? It is an 80s... Uh, Google, 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 Google. <laughs> uh, it's an 80s sitcom. It ran for eight seasons. Yes. And I remember looking that up and being like, oh, it's two brothers who run a private detective agency. Okay. Simon and Simon. And it's uh, clearly got like a little bit of a Dukes of Hazard vibe. Okay. But without like the redneck trappings. And it was very, very popular. <laughs> So we went in and we knew nothing about Simon and Simon. And we're watching them film these weird scenes where, like, uh, John Hamm's dumping water out of his boot. And they're, like, jumping over these bushes. And in the plot of the show, uh, John Hamm is getting sicker and sicker. Or he, he's so cold. Yes. That he, he's refusing to talk to Adam Scott. But he's also freezing. And then he dies. <laughs> And despite shooting in the original sunny Southern California locations, John just kept getting colder and colder. You look back at the classic filmmaking moments in history and, and it's all bullshit. You get the chance to work on something like this and you don't want to pass it up. This is living the dream. I'm just so damn cold. John Hamm died that night. So yeah, John Hamm, they say that John Hamm died, which feels weird. I don't, I don't know if you had that experience. I'm guessing not. But like... No, you did jump almost the entire episode. That's why it's not in my notes until later. Oh. Because I was like, where is that? And it's like the last thing in the uh, in my notes. So we go through the motions of like a making of documentary. And Paul Rudd doesn't realize which actor from Parks and Rec he had hired. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He was like, I thought we had uh, the little Indian guy, as is. <laughs> they show a picture of Aziz sorry, And he's like, yeah, Adam Scott's great, but John Hamm! <laughs> and just, like, goes on about, like, filleting John Hamm. And then we also see Anna Gasteyer. Yes. Do a really great cameo as this motion coach. And she's coaching them and makes them take all of their clothes off. And we get this great scene where Adam is still desperately trying to talk to John Hamm. Yes. And they're both like in their boxer briefs. And John Hamm is like, please not now. This will set up the trend of this show having really great actors and just throwing them away. Yes. <laughs> uh, because Paul Shear is in this. Yes. As a deranged fan of Simon and Simon. <laughs> Who is camping outside the theater Jeff Probst is currently hosting the special in, mm -hmm. protesting because they're going to ruin it, <laughs> and he has a plan for it, and it's like a gritty reboot. Yeah. And then we also see this shot where he is definitely pleasuring himself in his tent, thinking of Simon and Simon. Um, uh, th this show had me, like, immediately. Like, I'm, I had a great time with this first episode. <laughs> And they, they do the, like, the troubled production. We're on day 28 of filming. Paul Rudd has overspent by $10 million off their $40 million budget, including $800,000 of his own money, which he regrets putting in. Yeah, regrets putting that in. You never put your own money in the production. Yeah, producers. 
Because they they also imply that they're not wearing costumes. They're wearing green screens. Yes. And they are then digitally adding the costumes in post. So John Hamm gets sadder and colder until he Mm. eventually succumbs to... Whatever happens to him. Yes, he, he dies from being cold, but like they never say what's wrong with him. And Adam Scott loses his mind. Yes. And we see him talking to people who aren't there. Like he's talk, And they say like he's talking to people who aren't there. And he talks to a PA who is played by Dan Harmon. Yes. And I was like, well, I can see Dan Harmon. And then he wanders off and continues talking to a person that's not there. And I was like, oh. And the thing that you're going to say, the throwaway actors, Megan Mullally is in this in one shot. I don't even think I registered that. You don't see her until the shot for shot remake. Oh, she's only in the... the she's only in the video. Right. Uh, and that's pretty common. They misuse and underuse. And I think that might be part of the point. Yes. But they underuse a ton of people. It's like, yeah, how did you get these people to agree to do nothing for you? <laughs> Yeah, and I can't imagine, like, the budget for this was very high. It was $40 million. In real life. It was $4. <laughs> um, but Adam Scott hyped, the, like, Adam Scott and Adult Swim hyped this up, like, whoa. Yes. I mean, that's the bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this was heavily hyped, and it was pretty well received because it was a funny joke. Yeah. And it was a very, like, Adult Swim payoff. Yes. Because the commercials for this were Adam Scott saying, like, this is going to be the greatest moment in television history. And giving no more information than that. Yes. So basically, (laughs) there's a bunch of people who were then surprised that all it was was a remake to a show that they had never heard of. Because when I watched this, I was not sure if Simon and Simon was real. I only knew it was a real show. Because they listed Bosom Buddies as one of the shows, which I did know was a yes. real show. I think, I could be wrong, but I think Family Guy does a parody of Simon and Simon with their episode on Gumble to Gumble, which was a, like, Peter and Chris really liked Gumble to Gumble, and then it got canceled. So they made Chris pretend like he was dying so he could have a Make-A-Wish to get Gumble to Gumble back on the air. Oh, my God. So I, th- I think that's a reference to Simon and Simon. Who knows? Gumble to Gumble? Um, yeah, it does look like gum- it, it's Beach Justice. Gumble to Gumble, Beach Justice. <laughs> um, um, it doesn't mention being a Simon and Simon uh, thing on Wikipedia, but I don't know a lot of Family Guy because I don't care for Family Guy. Yeah. Um. So the second episode. Well, be- before we get into the second episode, we should mention they then show us the recreation. Yes. And it is almost exact. Yes. But it is so ridiculous what we are seeing that, like, I think the average person would be like, "This show is fake." Yeah, I mean, it's very much in keeping with... um, So I watched five episodes of Golden Girls in a row the other night. And it's that kind of sitcom opening where it's just a super cut of clips from the shows. Right. Taken out of context to make the show look cool. Right. That's what all these things are. And so you got to figure this opening title sequence is based around everything they had filmed up to airing. Right. So they could cherry pick this cool moment or that cool moment. 
And this is actually based on the season four intro. Uh, so they could kind of cherry pick the coolest things from the first three and a half seasons, roughly. Yeah, and the coolest things were dumping water out of a boot, diving out of the way of a car. Uh, I think there was a flamethrower at a one flame point. A flamethrower from a forklift? <laughs> yeah. It looks totally bananas, but it's... Like, as soon as this ended, I was like, I'm so glad we picked this show. This is so insanely funny. And I love this. And they end the episode with, like, cutting off the last word Jeff Probst is saying? Yeah, like they went over time. It's like, thank you so much. Good. And then it was just over. (laughs) Yep. So that was the first episode. It's fine. Um... Oh, I, I guess you did not enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, I really liked it at this point where we were watching it. Yes, I'm in love with the show at this point. Uh, but I'm already thinking, like, there's three more episodes of this. What are they going to do? Well, let me answer that with heart to heart. Including beloved star Amy Poehler and Adam Scott. Photos still not available. And uh, they have actor Paul Rust is the director this time. Yes. Which I think is funny because it was Paul Rudd and then Paul Rust, who is a lesser known character actor. Yeah. And Paul is obsequious to Adam, just worships Adam and doesn't really care about Amy Poehler. The rest of the cast and crew is very thrilled to see Amy Poehler. Well, we also learn that uh, there's something in his contract, in Adam Scott's contract, that he has to be involved in these. Yeah. Because we cut to... Paul Shearer, who is now playing Adam Scott's, like, agent or lawyer. I had a quick question. Adam gets to do this? Because I I thought he already did one. People get to do two? Yeah, he's he's doing two. Why is he in two? Adam was told he's going to be in the greatest thing in TV and whatever. He wasn't. They proved it. Case closed. I'm Adam, by the way. Henceforth, check the contract, bro. Adam's in these in perpetuity, which means forever. And for some reason, he has a signed picture of Vin Diesel on his desk. Yes. I don't know why that really like stuck out to me, but it did. And the kind of bit for this whole uh, thing is uh, Jeff Probst explains that they thought it was the greatest moment in television history before, but they weren't even close. Heart to heart will be the greatest moment in television history. But uh, Adam Scott and Amy Poehler apparently don't like each other. Yes. um, And it's clearly a send-up of the fact that they play beloved couple Leslie Nope and Ben Wyatt on Parks and Rec. Now, they are careful. They really don't ever mention Parks and Rec. No, they don't. Um, But Adam is upset because he wanted Natalie Portman to play his wife. Amy Poehler wanted Ryan Gosling. (laughs) And in this one... Uh, what they did with John Hamm and Adam Scott was that John Hamm was the serious actor. Mm-hmm. And Adam Scott was desperately trying to get John Hamm to like him. In this, we have the two prima donna actors who uh, are very childish when it comes to one another. Yeah. Like, they don't want to be the first to uh, arrive on set. They want to make the other one wait for them. Yes. Uh, my, my favorite part is when they thought it'd be an interesting choice if instead of being sitting while driving their cars, if they were standing. Yes. Just to be different. One more time, why am I sitting? Because uh, you're in a car. I just don't know if I would be sitting. I don't know if my character would sit. Could I stand? While driving? Yeah. 
the rehearsal process has been hard because what we're, what we're doing is we're just kind of copying what's already been done. And it comes very easily to Adam. And it's a challenge for me because I'm so creative and original and it just, it's hard for me to get there. I was actually thinking too that maybe I'd be standing. Like maybe I'm also standing. Is that okay with you? Um, it is, it's fine. Okay. It's just, I don't know, like if we were both standing and suddenly like, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah, you're right, actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. No, no I, I'll I, stand, I'll, I'll sit. Or we could do it like in the original where, you know, both of you are sitting in the car. And like there's an entire very long scene uh, where they're essentially playing chicken about coming out of their trailers. Yes. And they're just like abusing this poor PA. Uh, but they're very nice to the PA. It's very yes. much the like, oh, I know this isn't, you know, I know this isn't your fault and I know this isn't your job, but like he has to go out first. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no chemistry between them. They do a shot from the intro where they kind of like are very close and there's supposed to be chemistry and then it cuts and they're just like, no. <laughs> um, and they have a couple's count. They have a chemistry specialist who is clearly like a plant from Adam. Yes. Because it's like the worst couples therapy you've ever seen. Where like the therapist hands Amy a post-it note to write down her feelings. And she responds with like, thank you. Thank Adam. I'm supposed to thank Adam for you handing me a post-it note. <laughs> thank you, Adam, for this guy handing me a post-it note. So it's like that kind of couples therapy where it's clearly like one person yeah, hired you. It's very one-sided. Um, and do you know anything about heart to heart? Um, very little. It's this like, there are married jet setters. Yes. But it's also a detective show. Uh, I have a vague memory of heart to heart because I, I kind of remembering it coming on after a show I like. So perhaps it aired on syndication after Get Smart or Small Wonder, because those were both shows I greatly enjoyed. But the the opening is really, like, mostly the burden of the butler, who is Horatio Sands. Yes. He's really doing most of the legwork when it comes to what's happening in this sequence. And he's just seen, like, sitting in the background, like, being ignored while these two are just fighting and being petty. And uh, you might also remember because Heart to Heart had like eight TV movies. Oh, After the show it? went off air. They aired well into our lifetimes. Really? They were making them right up into, right in, well into our childhoods. Huh. Despite the fact that the show ended uh, before we were born. Interesting. And they were going to remake it with uh, Alan Cumming uh, called Mr. and Mr. Nash. And it was going to be gay heart to heart. Oh. Hmm. I don't know that the early 2000s would have been a sensitive time to do that. Yeah, heart to heart's also just a better yeah, title I also, than Mr. and Mr. Nash. I also just feel like they wouldn't have done a great job with it. Yeah. Because <laughs> the early 2000s were not a sensitive time in gay culture. No, no, they were not. Uh, so this one had a good, like, it had a good little story to it. Mm -hmm. But I was, at this point, I was like, okay, you've done the hero worship and you've done the actors who hate each other. Where is yeah, Where are we going? Go? So, so, so my, my hype has died down pretty badly for this show at this point. Because I was like, oh, it's just going to be this again? Let's do it two more times and let's do it with too close for comfort. 
Yes, which was another... Uh, I did a little more research on this show because we really thought this one was fake. Yes. And it's about like a couple who owned a duplex and then their daughters moved in downstairs. And mom and dad meddle in their lives. Yeah. It, it felt like, like Three's Company in, in the way it was shot. Yeah. I mean, it's... Very, I mean, it's a very similar time. These were all the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah. And uh, it's Chelsea Peretti, Catherine Hahn, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Who is a legend. And John Glazer, who you probably know as Councilman Jam. Yeah, Councilman Jam's in this. And the director. And Adam Scott. And playing the director is Jason Manzoukas. My boy, Jason Manzoukas. Who is I great in this. Uh, this is the one that opens again with Jeff Probst, and this time he says, I'm starting to feel like a real butthole. We thought we had the greatest uh, moment in television history with uh, Simon and Simon. Then we thought it was heart to heart. And now we're just going to try it again. And we've changed the name of the show to a moment in television history. So Jason Manzoukas is nuts. He comes on with like a loaded gun and starts screaming. And the rest of the cast is like, ah! And Catherine O'Hara is like, I'm into it. And he goes, you're my favorite. <laughs> and uh, Manzoukas admits he didn't want Adam Scott for the role. And everyone's like, why? Well, I wanted Jason Bateman. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be really good. That'd be really good. But again, we go back to Paul Shear, super agent, super lawyer, saying like, nah, he's locked in. You can't do this without him. Uh, Catherine O'Hara takes Catherine Hahn, who's a younger actress, aside and decides it's a ruse for a larger project. Classic. My agent called and said there was something really big happening. That's as much as I knew about it. But now I'm here. Thank goodness I listened to her because I'm really excited to be part of Too Close for Comfort. Um, I'm going to tell you something. When they were making um, Return with the Jedi, mm-hmm. they, they had everybody convinced that they were making this little movie called Blue Harvest. Everyone yeah. believed it. I think Too Close for Comfort is code for the next Star Wars movie. Yeah. Are we doing Star Wars? Don't, don't, don't tell. Don't tell. Because I think, scream it yourselves. I don't think anyone knows yet. Like on movies, when they do that, they're usually trying to like trick the media. No. Not the people in it. I'm sorry. I think that this Catherine is right. She sees... New Star Wars movie. They are secretly... She thinks they are secretly in the new Star Wars movie. And so throughout the whole time, she's trying to get like space buttons and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and every time she does something crazy, like has a variant on a Leia hairstyle, Jason Manzoukas is like, we're not going with that, but I like your style. (laughs) I love Jason Manzoukas. Uh, John Glazer in a thing that is eerily reminiscent of Henry Cavill, uh, will not shave his beard because he has other projects that he needs to have his beard for. Yes. But instead of bad CGI, like in Justice League, uh, they decide he's going to use his skin beard. Yes, or his skeered? His skeered. I think they call it. Yeah, it's his skin beard, or his skeered. And so it's this big, like, they talk it up that it's a very expensive, elaborate prosthetic. It looks like a face mask? Like... It looks like a butchered swim cap. Yeah, like... <laughs> it looks like a clay face mask. Like, I have this one peel-off clay face mask, and it looks like that. Yes. 
uh, that looks like I'm tearing my face off when I take it off and mm-hmm. Noah hates it and I use it all the time. It's like the Patrick Bateman scene. Yeah. Um, and this is the one where Adam can't sit. He has like the Zoolander problem. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. This is very dumb. I, I have some major issues with this. Uh, they set it up that he is unable to sit down. That's just like the one thing he's never learned how to do. And they show like pictures of him in uh, uh, Party Down. Yes. And it tur- and then you see it without the CGI, and it turns out he's standing in a chair with like fake legs over the top of it. Yeah, like he's green screened into the chair. Uh, so he's never learned how to f- sit down, and you see him like struggling to try to figure out how to sit down, and he finally learns how to sit down when the ghost of John of Hamm John Ham appears and says, "Like, just sit down, just do it." Few few things. Yes, I think this is supposed to be a bit because in too close for comfort. Uh, his the dad can't sit in any of the furniture because it's all like modern furniture. Yeah, it's all modern. So I think they're trying to play off that joke, which I feel like nobody's getting. Uh, but also, you're introducing this whole thing about there's continuity between the episodes. Mm-hmm. Because John Hamm died in episode one. Yes. So now he's appearing as a ghost in episode three. Yes. However, in episode two, there's an entire scene... Where they're talking about sitting or standing when yeah. they're driving the cars. So I was just like, ah, now this feels sloppy. And like, I know it's a stupid, absurdist show. Still, like, to have this be the main joke in something where you're establishing continuity is a little foolish, in my opinion. Yeah, and so John Hamm visits Adam as a ghost and tells him, like, and Adam's like, I can't do it. And John Hamm just goes, sit down! <laughs> Adam, Adam's like, okay. All right. Um, and then Jeff Probst breaks in and goes, we have footage of a ghost. Yeah, we have footage that ghosts actually exist. Uh, that should be the greatest event in television history. So there's a part where the dad, played by John Glazer, Councilman Jam, has to do flip over the back of the couch. Yeah. Like, he does, like, a pratfall over the couch. Yeah. Very easy. Something we've all done. Well, <laughs> Jason Manzoukas is going to do it with, like, crouching tiger wire systems? Yes. Oh, God. I love this bit. Because <laughs> um, they kind of get uh, Chelsea Peretti and Catherine O'Hara also in the harness. For some reason, which is just kind of feeding into the whole it's actually Star Wars conspiracy that they have picked up. And uh, Catherine O'Hara has a uh, an orgasm in the harness. <laughs> and uh, the stunt coordinator is just so calm about it. So it happens. It's called a hangasm, I think he says. No, it has a really strange name that I'm... I'll, I'll put, put that put in. It in. I'll put it in. But you having a little orgasm? I don't want you to strain your back. Just breathe through it. I'm good, I'm good. It's called a swing gush. I'm good, shut up! Okay, you guys ready? It's very funny. Uh, but they treat the couch flip as this deadly serious stunt. And so they're getting ready to do it. And like the stunt coordinator, like John Glazer cracks a joke. I really appreciate you giving me your focus, your attention right now. We're going to do the couch flip. And we're going to do it without wires. All right, now what that means is for this to work, I need your total focus and attention. Ms. O'Hara, you'll be 
in the front, okay? Ms. Han, you'll be positioned about here. Ms. Freddy, you'll be positioned about here. Mr. Glazer will be seated right about here, all right? I will position Mr. Glazer, okay? And I will stay with Mr. Glazer until our director calls action, at which point I'm gonna move out of the way, all right? I'm gonna call a second action, at which point Mr. Glazer will begin the move, okay? At that point, it's critical to really pay attention to where you are in space. You'll be moving in towards another moving body, okay? Yeah, John. Uh, what if I have to take a leak? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That's really funny. That's really, really funny, and I appreciate the joking around, but right now, we need focus and seriousness. Like, very, very... H have you ever had that experience? Because I have. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've worked with a couple of very intense fight coordinators. Yep, same. Um, and we had this one problem where the, uh, the one super intense fight coordinator was also incredibly attractive to the very, very thirsty college cast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it made it very, very difficult. We were like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then you weren't paying attention. And then uh, our friend kicked another girl in the face in the middle of a fight call. Ooh. Just full-on Sparta kicked her in the face. Oh, uh, okay. Not sweet tin music? Kind of. It was right in the face. <laughs> like, uh, it was very uh, karate kid. Karate it was very kid. much a crane kick to Ooh, the face. Ooh, okay. All right. Um, but, like, fight coordinators on sets are intense people. And they have to be. They have to be. Because if you screw around, you could get crane kicked to the face like mm -hmm. an idiot. Um, or crane kick someone to the face like an idiot. The person who got kicked wasn't stupid. The person who did it was... Hi, Pat. Um, these things are, it's just a great pastiche of that. Yes. Like, oh my God, I love you and I can't wait to joke around with you but right now. Yeah, because I remember I was doing sword fighting and I made a joke about like, someone said something like, if you hit the sword too hard, it might break. And I said, that's fine. I just pick up the blade and now I have two swords. And they were like, that's funny. But if a sword breaks, you should believe it is sharp and put it down gently on the stage and then back away slowly. And I was like, it's not a rattlesnake. <laughs> like, I think I just place it down. Yeah, I was in a production of Hamlet where, like, sword etiquette was, like, drilled into us. Mm -hmm. Because it's a college production, so, like... You want to play with them. Well, and a lot of women were playing courtiers, uh. is what I say. Like, so I had a sword... Uh, my friend, who was, like, just as dumb as I was, had a sword. And we could not be trusted. But, like, you you were not allowed to look at the swords funny. Mm. Like, it was any show you've ever done, the props turned up to, like, 30. Right, like, right. You, like, you lay a hand on a sword that wasn't yours, death. Yeah, it's not yours, don't touch it. Instant permadeath. <laughs> uh, so, like, this did hit home. So he's coaching, and they're going to, like, okay, we're going to do the shot. And... John Glazer flips over the back of the couch and breaks his neck. Breaks his neck. And then as he is being carted away on a stretcher, he asks, did we get the shot? Like this very, like this hero, like I might have died for this, but did we get the shot? Yeah. We got the shot. We got the shot! We got the shot! We got the shot! We got the shot! We Shot. We got the shot. They got the shot. And, and then it just cuts to a bunch of different people saying we got the shot, including the John Ham ghost. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And that's actually the episode after they show the, uh, after they show the final thing, they go, by the way, Catherine O'Hara and Catherine Hahn didn't get cast in the new Star Wars. And then the last thing we see after the credits is a casting crew picture with a big sign that says, we got the shot. We got the shot. So this one was pretty funny because this one uh, focused less on the direct, on the actors' personalities and focused more on like a troubled production. Yes. Uh, which is, I think, where it needed to go because we already did the hero worship. We already did the two actors who hate each other. So we need another place to go. The last episode is Bosom Buddies. Yes. Which is the show I did know. Yeah, it's probably the the most popular of the shows because it was covered by I Love the 80s. It was also um it was also like a bit a launch pad for Tom Hanks. Yes. Which is why it was popular because it became Tom Hanks's like big break. Yes. And it's Paul Rudd and Adam Scott. Paul Rudd's back. Yes. And Paul Rudd goes super method. Yeah, he is super duper method. He keeps saying that like he's in his laboratory where he has like various 80s items. The weather report for the day that they shot. Yes. And like a picture of Ronald Reagan. And... A book of 80s slang. 80s slang. And they show him like like studying in the field. And he is tracking... The other guy from Bosom Bite Buddies. Yes. Uh, who I only know as the dad from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. <laughs> I don't know if he did anything else of note, but uh, he was a Wayne Selinsky stand-in. <laughs> so they do this very... He, like, entertains the rest of the cast with 80s slang and, like, 80s trivia. Yeah, he's refusing to break character, and Adam Scott doesn't care. And there's a great, like, uh, the rest of the cast is, like, Gillian Jacobs. um, Who I feel like I never saw until the end. You really don't. Uh, You don't see her and you don't see Aisha Murar or Helen Slayton Hughes. Yes. You do briefly, well, more often see A.D. Bryant. Yeah. Because she plays the character who introduces them to the apartment, so she's in more of the intro. Um... The other people you see are Tom Hanks and Billy Joel. We, yeah, let, let's set that up a little bit. Uh, Paul Rudd is so method that he doesn't show up. Yes. So they're like, they had to hire a stand-in in the event that he just no-shows. And then when he shows up three hours late, they send the, uh, the replacement home. And it's Tom Hanks. Yes. And Tom Hanks has no lines in this. He goes, hmm. And he's like annoyed and then you watch him leave. And that's all Tom Hanks does in this. Uh, The original Bosom Buddies uh, theme song is My Life by Billy Joel, which was sung by a sound-alike for the show. Yeah, because they probably couldn't afford. But for this... They're going to have actual Billy Joel sing the song, but they want it to be exact. So they keep telling him to sing his own song wrong. Yeah. They tell him to sound more like the, uh, more like the sound alike. On a call from an old friend. That's not it. What's not it? 
Is there any way you can sing it and maybe sound more like the guy from the show? Let me try. like some time yeah can i get some water yeah we'll get you some flat water to match your voice go to the shop sold a house bought a ticket to the west those aren't the right lyrics <clears throat> yeah that sounded weird now he gives them a stand-up routine in l.a and i believe it it's not a stand-up routine it's stand-up tartine like those the san- yeah like the sandwiches with no top Meanwhile, so it's 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 a good bit. Oh, it's an amazing bit, and I love Billy Joel (laughs) so much, and I love that he's like willing to do this really stupid thing. Yes. How do you think that conversation went from Adam Scott to call Billy Joel and be like, "Hey"? I I mean, I'm gonna assume they must have filmed at least some of this in New York. You're right. Because Billy Joel's constant, well, before COVID, was constantly just doing shows at Madison Square Garden. Like, once a month, he would do one. Yeah, he said he was just going to keep doing it until they stopped selling out. Yeah, and they just kept selling out. Just kept selling out Madison Square Garden night after night. Just for fun. Yeah, it's Um, incredible. Where it would just be like, I'm going to do one in, like, five weeks. Is that cool? Sell it. Yeah, do it. Um... So I'm gonna guess that somebody was just like, "Hey, this would be funny," and he was like, "How long it'll t- how long will it take? Like two hours? Two hours max? All right, cool. That's what I get about a lot of this. Like, it was just, it's gonna be short. It's gonna be quick. It's gonna be funny. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun seeing adults who have enough influence to just do something silly for a few days. Yeah, and and break even. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other big bit for this is. Paul Rudd moves in with Adam Scott. Yes. For so he can get into the method of being roommates with Adam Scott. Uh and bangs his wife. Yeah, his wife, uh, who is Emily in the show, it's Naomi in real life. Uh, she's played by Julian Burning Love. Yes. Um, which there are a few Burning Love actors here and there. Yeah. Um, which is really fun. Um, so they they kind of do this thing where she's annoyed at Adam for letting Paul Rudd stay. And then Paul Rudd admits to Adam Scott that he had sex with Adam's wife. And he's like, when did you have sex with my wife? And Paul Rudd just starts listing. Yeah, listing all of these times. All of the times in the last 12 hours. <laughs> and it's like four. <laughs> this is the the most he felt like Ben Wyatt. Because it's just him getting... Receiving ridiculous information and like trying to process and hold it together. Yeah, it was very, it was very Ben Wyatty. Yeah. So, uh, that's, I mean, that's a lot of it. Yeah, and and then they show the bosom buddies thing that they created, and I, this is something I really want to point out. In this episode, uh, Jeff Probst says we are coming to you for the final time. Yeah, which. I just want to say for, like, the concept of the show, even though we've broken the rules a hundred times already, uh, this was planned to be four episodes. Yep. Like, like the fact that he says that, it's like, oh, all right, this is the plan all along, is to get to this point. Yeah, it's it's very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Probst does elevate this whole thing. Absolutely. Um, 
But this, uh, they run it and it is a shot for shot. <laughs> Remake of Bosom Buddies and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, that So that's the show. Yeah, the series itself isn't, that's about it. I feel like this was amazing if you watched it the way they had scheduled it. In the middle of the night, months apart? Yes. Watching it almost back to back to back to back, like we did, really hurts the experience. Yes. But if I was in a situation where I saw the first one with John Hamm and thought it was, like, incredible, and then a month later, after, like, my my enjoyment had kind of, like... Like, it had left my brain as a thing I enjoyed. Hearing that it was coming back. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, we gotta watch this. Yeah. So I think it was definitely very well uh, planned. But as a whole, it's a little hard to enjoy it as a series. Yeah, it's definitely not bingeable. Which wasn't really a thing when it was coming out. Uh, Like, binge-watching hadn't really hit what it has now become. Right. So you weren't really... And it's Adult Swim. The rules are a little different for Adult Swim. uh, Because it's the kind of thing that just pops up. Right. Um, And it can have weird jokes that kind of carry forward for months. Because they're not really relying on their audience remembering. Yeah, it's... It's very interesting that Adult Swim, like, one of its strengths mm-hmm. is its lack of advertising. Okay. Like, they're kind of counting on the idea that you have left the TV on after watching Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Because, like, they they actually don't want you to know much going into a show. Because the, the reaction that they want... To get out of people is, what the hell is this? Uh, I was actually, Adult Swim was trending online yesterday. Right. Because this mother found, like, a screenshot of one of the things that they air at, like, 4 a.m., the experimental films they they air in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. and, like, freaked out. And I was like, one of Adult Swim's bread and butter things is the thing that you kind of wake up during going like what the hell? I had a friend who woke up in the middle of the night the night too many cooks came on that's a rough time that's a real rough time uh it wasn't they just assumed it was a nightmare <laughs> and woke up the next morning to find out it wasn't a nightmare they had had actually aired but they said like yeah i got through the first half of my day thinking i'd had the worst dream cuz i remember when that was like the number one thing on reddit that day Ugh. where it was like Adult Swim aired this without any promotion. And it was just a bunch of people being like, ah, this can't be that bad. Wait, what is this? And they've attempted this, uh, that phenomenon many, many times with things like this house has people in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, unedited footage of a bear. Unedited footage of a bear, which is, mm, that is beautiful. I love unedited footage of a bear. And. It, like it's Adult Swim tends to try to sell experiences more than entertainment. Like <laughs> as strange as that is to to say, because uh, when I discovered unedited footage of a bear, uh, I accidentally didn't watch it. Okay. Uh, do, how much do you know about unedited footage of a bear? I know it's not for me. Okay. 
Uh, it's I, the elephant graveyard, Simba. Never go there. Never like, go there. When I say schmuck bait, I will not still watch these things. I will read about them extensively and learn too much about them, but I will never actually... I watched too many cooks, and that was a bad time. Well... A bad time. I, I'm not going to freak you out when I say this, I promise. Because th- this trick doesn't work anymore with the way YouTube currently works. I watched on YouTube unedited footage of a bear. And it is about 20 seconds of a bear. Bear. And then an ad starts to play. Mm-hmm. And a click ad bu- or skip ad button pops up in the spot that it should pop up on a YouTube video. Okay. And this is back when you could put annotations in your videos. So I clicked it and it skipped to the end of the video, which is just more unedited footage of a bear. And then credits rolled. And then I thought that was it. Bear. I was like, oh, it, it's actually just three minutes of unedited footage of a bear. And then when I looked down and saw that the timeline said it was 12 minutes long, I had to go back and then realize that the ad that plays is the actual movie. Like, Adult Swim is real heady and interesting. I enjoy it. I know it's not for everybody. And uh, this type of super hype for something super stupid is very much on brand for them. And this is actually like the Adult Swim I enjoy, where it's fun and funny. Yes. Uh, I don't like the creepy, surrealistic, violent horror part of Yeah. Uh, like, I, I've never liked violence as punchline. Yes. Which they don't really do here. I mean, they do the, the Pratt fall going terribly wrong. But it's telegraphed pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah. And it's not the joke. And it's not, like, gory. Yeah, you don't see it. He falls behind the couch, and then we're told his neck is broken. It's not like Metalocalypse, where we're seeing people being impaled and stuff like that. Yeah, this is more like... I know we referenced the producers. Yes. But this is more like you you never say good luck on opening night, Mm -hmm. where you see uh, Franz Liebkind fall off stage, and you hear, like, Ow, my leg! (laughs) It's broken. This is more... I broke my leg! Like, that's more of what this sounds like. Yes. Uh, So... Did you have any research or anything you wanted to add to this? Not really. I couldn't find very much about it. It's very much... Because what I think I find most interesting about this show is it's called The Greatest Moment in Television History. It has some of the biggest stars to appear on Adult Swim. Oh, absolutely. And yet is so lost among all the things that Adult Swim has done. Like, if you told someone to list as many Adult Swim shows as they could, this one would probably be forgotten. It's not long-term. Like, it's not like an Aqua Teen that Mm. ran forever and is a mainstay. Or a robot chicken. It's not shocking, like, this house has people in it, unedited footage of a bear, or or too many cooks. Where, like, it went viral for what it was. Yes. And there's also, like, this subset of, like, those one-season shows that people are, like... Do you remember Xavier the Angel or whatever that was? It ran one season. What was that? What was Saul versus the Mole Men? Where was that fat guy in the internet? Like, And this isn't even like... This would be, I think, closest to something like The Heart She Holler. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it has a lot of that guy actors in it. Yeah. Uh, because I believe like Patton Oswalt and stuff are in The Heart She Holler. Yes. And... 
Uh, so I would think it would be like that because, but the Heart She Holler, part of the reason it has the hype it does is because it aired terrifying ads in the middle of the night. Yes. So like a lot of Adult Swim's mystique, especially in current Adult Swim, and especially in about five years adult, five years ago Adult Swim, like the greatest event in television history is not that far from when Too Many Cooks was airing. Yeah, I think a lot of what the Adult Swim phenomenons, they are pranks on the viewer. Like, uh, Too Many Cooks freaks you out. Uh, Perfect Hair Forever is meant to be kind of like this prank of, you thought this was an anime and it's not. Uh, Twelve Ounce Mouse is kind of like, can you believe that this is really a show? You're the one watching it. The prank of the greatest moment in television history is building you up that something's going to be great, and then it's just kind of silly. And while it's an effective prank that they do well, yeah, it's not the type of prank that you then send your friend and say, yo, you got to see this. Yeah, the joke is very much on the viewer mm-hmm. in a way that it really isn't. Uh, and it isn't possible to do. In a in a uh, like a viral setting, yeah. So uh, that being said, uh, we gotta give this one a verdict. So I would say that this one, uh, I would give this a stay doomed. Yeah, purely for the reasons we were just talking about. It's hard to keep doing this trick. Mm-hmm. When did this come out? Uh, this came out. Over the course of several, like, this came out over essentially three calendar years. October 2012, two in 2013, one in 2014, January. So over about 15, 16 months, four episodes. I I honestly was, I was going to give it a stay doomed because I think they have run its course. They did the bit. It's, it's over. There's no need for more of it. That being said, though, now that it's been five years, if they were just like, after five years, here's the actual greatest moment in television history. Here's the theme. to Here's a shot-for-shot remake of the theme to Perfect Strangers. You know I'd watch it. Yeah, I almost, I'd totally be down for one more of these. And I think it would be fun if they went a little forward in time and went into the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but you can't do like Friends, Frasier, uh, Seinfeld. You can't do your big ones. You have to do something that's just like much weirder and like a Veronica's Closet. Because it has to be a show that ran for years. Like yes. you can't do like, none of these were one season wonders. None of these were stay doomedable. Yeah. But you With have to Caroline do Caroline one- in the City. Yeah, something that's just like a never, that didn't carry forward in time. The way like Frasier and Friends and Seinfeld have. Yeah. Uh, so b- before we, we, we end this one, I, I do want to say if we were to like, I don't know, do a Patreon or something, what theme do you want, would you want to try to recreate? Frasier, because I could just make a skyline. I had the same thought. I was like, I would do Lost because it's just the word Lost coming at Riverdale because it's just the like the neon sign that says Riverdale and nothing else of import. That's my one per episode. Yeah, you almost missed it. 
I, management yelled at me. I won't. I won't do it again. Uh, if we were to really do one, I think we might be able to do like Dexter's Lab. Yeah, I already kind of look like that. I think that would be. I think doing a cartoon would be more fun. Like doing like an Ed Ed and Eddie. Or uh, Hey Arnold would be a fun one. Yeah, Hey Arnold would be good. I don't know if we get your hair to do that or my head to do that, but we could get my hair to do that. <laughs> Uh, there are tutorials on the internet for getting girls' hair to do the Helga Patel. Oh, really? Thing. Oh, yeah. That's funny. It's a really popular Halloween costume. Yeah, that makes I'm sense. I'm going to need a lot of Elmer's glue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, let us know. If, if you th- want us to try to recreate a, uh, a famous television opening sequence, uh, which one should it be? Uh, and you can reach us how, Laura? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. What are we watching next week? Uh, we're watching Puppet Man. Oh, the, the pilot to Puppet Man. Yes. Sounds fun. It's on YouTube. And uh, if you want to talk to me about uh, uh, This House Has People in It, I'm at Plus Two Comedy. If you are also afraid of horror movies but know way too much about them, I'm at Stay Doomed. Until next time, stay doomed.